Well, good morning. Ah, oh, so good to see all of your smiling faces. I know that you're smiling because I, uh, I can see your shining eyes, right? I've learned to read eyebrows. <laughs> so uh, this is how I, I'd love for you to interact, those of you who are here at church, and let me know how, how we're doing this morning. So it goes like this. If you go like this with your eyebrows, I know that I've nailed it, right? If you go like this, I know I'm pushing your buttons. And those of you at home, I know I can't see your eyebrows, but I'm glad that you're joining us. Uh, Even if you're in your hammock in your backyard, love that you are here. We're going to have a good morning. So uh, we are going to continue in our journey through the book of Acts. We've been in this series almost the entire summer, and uh, it's a journey of both faith and travel for our disciples. We've, uh, We've seen in the book of Acts that our disciples were baptized with the Holy Spirit, and, uh, and they were given this new boldness that they'd never known before. We've seen the church come together as a movement that extended to both Jew and Gentile. We've seen so many people added to the faith, people who've come to put their faith in Christ. And on this journey, the disciples have seen some of their own taken to heaven, and they've seen some turn from persecutor to Christian leader. We've seen the Christians called Christians for the very first time and, uh, and then we've seen people scattered, believers scattered throughout the world to go and spread the good news of the gospel of Christ. And uh, last week, Pastor Mike took us through chapter 15, uh, in which uh, he covered the, what's now become known as the Jerusalem Council, where the church made some really important decisions about Christian behavior. And today we're going to continue our journey, and we're going to uh, delve through chapter 16 of Acts, And this is a journey for Paul and Silas. They're heading across what is now Syria. If you can picture kind of the Middle East, they're going to travel through Lystra, and they're going to bring the gospel to Europe, sharing that good news. And uh, and on that journey in chapter 16, we're going to take a look at some real individual responses, the way individual people responded to the gospel of Christ, because I think we always have something to learn from what we read out of scripture and how people respond. Sound good? Okay, let's dive in. We're in Acts chapter 16, so if you are at home online, there's actually a Bible tab that you can click on. Those of you who are in church with us, go ahead and open up your Bibles to chapter 16, and we're going to start in verse 1. Here we go. It says, Paul first, or went first to Derbe and then to Lystra, where there was a young disciple named Timothy. His mother was a Jewish believer, but his father was a Greek. Timothy was well thought of by the believers in Lystra and Iconium, so Paul wanted him to join them on their journey. In deference to the Jews of the area, he arranged for Timothy to be circumcised before they left, for everyone knew that his father was a Greek. So, here's our first individual that's responding to the gospel. We'll call him an individual responder, right? And you may recognize his name because, yes, he authored several books of the Bible, uh, but this is actually the first time in Scripture that we meet young Timothy. So, who is he? Well, the Bible tells us that from, his, uh, from a young age, Timothy was raised to know God and know Scripture. His mama was Jewish, so he would have already known the Jewish law as well, and he would have known how hard it was to follow the letter of the law and how often he failed. So at some point in his young life, Timothy would have come face to face with his own sinfulness, the reality that there was no way that he could be good enough that he could never say enough good things, do enough good things, be good enough, be holy enough to stand before a holy God. 
And like many of us in here, Timothy would have come to realize that his sin separated him from God and that he had a desperate need for a Savior. And then Timothy, Timothy discovered the one and only one who could save him, Jesus Christ. Jesus, the Son of God, who took on the sins of the world, who paid the penalty for our sins when he died on the cross. And when God raised Jesus from the dead, a way was paved for us to someday be with God in heaven. John 14, 6 says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Timothy put his faith in that truth and put his faith in Christ as Savior. He received the forgiveness of his sins and committed to follow Jesus as a disciple. And it was that commitment that had caught the eyes of the other leaders in the church. So much so that when Paul, the apostle Paul, shows up in Lystra, the other leaders are like, dude, you got to meet this kid, Timothy. He oozes Jesus, right? He's got pastor written all over him. Verse 3 tells us that Paul was just as impressed with Timothy's faith and character as the other leaders were. So he invites the kid into his first ever mission trip. There was just one little thing. Timothy was a bit of a half-breed. So he was half Jew and half Greek. And that would have actually been a hang-up with a lot of the Jews that they were, where, they were, or where they were headed to on this mission trip, and Paul knew that. So to remove any stigma, Paul invites Timothy to be circumcised. I want you to think about that for a minute. When does a baby boy usually get circumcised? Eight days old right? Okay, eight days. And vitamin K is very high in a baby's body then, and so healing's faster. There's actually some speculation that, that it doesn't hurt as much for a baby boy, but Timothy was not eight days old. He was almost 22. Choosing circumcision on purpose. Why? Why? Because if you'll remember back to chapter 15 and last week, Timothy was not required by the church to do this. On the contrary, Timothy was inspired by Christ to position himself for effective ministry by undergoing circumcision. That's not a little toe-in-the-water response. That's an all-in response for ministry. Timothy went all-in. I want to address our Gen Zers, maybe those of you who are watching, who were born anywhere between 1995 and 2010. You are 7 to 10 or 7 to 23 years old. You're in Timothy's age range. You are the generation who's grown up with a rattle in one hand and an iPhone in another, right? Internet at your fingertips. You make up about 25.9% of the population of the U.S. That's more than any generation currently living, which means that you Gen Zers have the, most greater, or the greatest potential influence on our nation in terms of size and scope than any other generation alive today. You will be our next leaders, making decisions at a pivotal time in history when everything from politics to marriage to family to gender to uh, what, what makes life, when life starts, all of that is being redefined by society. Most of you Gen Zers have a real strong sense of independence. You crave authenticity. You hate injustice. And you have a drive to make a difference in the world. So my question to you is whether or not you want that difference to repel people from God or to shine a light in the darkness. Because if it's the second one, you'll follow Timothy's example by positioning yourself to go all in to minister to others. And I know I'm not, I'm not suggesting any of you Gen Zers get uh, circumcised, so some of you need to just chillax for a minute, okay? I know you're sweating a little much. But I am calling you, if you are in that age range, to discover the thing 
that will position you for effective ministry like circumcision did for Timothy? Are you called to step forward? Are you called to dive in and finally volunteer? Get a start in kids' ministry or youth ministry. Are you called to change your major? Are you called to sign on and, and help with that nonprofit that keeps catching your eye? Or ask that leader that you're a little intimidated by to mentor you? Or maybe just dive in a little bit more with Jesus. Spend more time with him than you do with Minecraft or Fortnite. <laughs> Respond to Jesus' call in your life. You can do that. You can do that. Because as we see with Timothy, his response right here had implications for generations to come up to today. The book of Timothy was the very first book of the Bible that God ever spoke to me through when I was a young 23-year-old brand new believer. It spoke to me and it, it impacted me so much that I actually named my first son after Timothy. My son is in heaven now. What kind of impact could your life have for other people, other generations, if you positioned yourself right now to minister to others? There's a lot of great characters in the book of Acts, people who respond to the gospel message in life-changing ways. So we're going to continue with our band of missionaries. Paul and uh, Silas, they travel through Galatia and Phrygia, and they land in Troas. Uh, they've traveled through what's now modern-day Turkey, if you know uh, ge geography very well. Uh, Paul and, had, and his uh, traveling buddies had mapped out their uh, plans, and they were planning to head into Asia, but God had different plans. And through the Holy Spirit, Paul and his fellow disciples are led to Europe, and they land in the Macedonian city of Philippi. And it was there that Paul meets Lydia, and she's our second responder. Here's how Acts tells her story. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gates to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira. She was a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. So, there was no temple, there was no Jewish temple in Philippi. In fact, the city actually had an ordinance um, on the city walls that said no unrecognized religion could enter the city. And so the disciples had headed for the river, which I love because the gospel knows no walls. Paul would never have met these women if he had gone into the Jewish temple. And so I'm so thankful that the Apostle Paul never allowed either gender or cultural walls to keep him from preaching the good news. And so he preached. And what does the text say? It said that the Lord opened Lydia's heart to pay attention to the gospel. So Lydia was actually not an ordinary woman. She was a businesswoman who had a bit of money, okay? She would have had a massive contact list in her iPhone because purple cloth was kind of like the Chanel or the Gucci or the Prada of the time. It was expensive. It was usually reserved for the rich or the royal. Lydia was a businesswoman with clout, right? In today's standards, she needed nothing. She had money, she had people, she had reputation, and she had God. She knew of God. There was nothing she needed until Paul's words, and through Paul's words, God opened her heart to realize that she didn't really know God. She had a need for a Savior. And how does she respond? Lydia goes all in with her faith. She gives her heart fully to Christ, and then she makes a public declaration of her commitment to Jesus. Here's what it says in verse 15. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed on us. 
Lydia not only makes a bold public declaration of faith in Christ, and then she leads her house to do the same thing. She opens her house and everything she owns to these disciples, pure strangers. You know, if you had asked me a couple of years or a couple of decades back if I was a Christian, I would have told you yes. I went to church on occasion. I was drawn to spiritual things and spiritual people, but I would never have done anything as crazy as getting my hair wet in front of a bunch of people just to highlight my faith. Uh-uh. I didn't talk about God with my family. That was for Bible thumpers and Jesus freaks. Okay? And I certainly wouldn't have invited a bunch of strange missionaries to stay in my house. That's just flat-out dangerous. And then I met a man who, much like Paul, simply shared the gospel story with me. He talked about the relationship that he had with Jesus, a relationship that wasn't driven by a checklist of rules. It was undergirded by love and forgiveness. It was through this amazing man, my husband John, that Jesus opened my eyes to my need for a Savior. And i got to tell you, my baptism was one of the most incredible days of my life as I finally found the courage to stand up and publicly declare that I was an official Jesus freak. Now, I promise not to call you a freak, but we have a baptism next week. And I wonder if this is your all-in next response. Maybe you know, like Lydia, of God, but do you really know God? Give your heart over to him. And if you haven't been baptized, you can sign up right online. Those of you at home can certainly sign up too. So continuing our journey, Paul and Silas move on through Philippi, and they catch the eye of a young slave girl who scripture says had a spirit of divination. And it wasn't a spirit that was of God. It was an evil spirit, and it fed her uh, ambiguous answers to people's questions because people will pay a lot of money to feel like they know what the future holds, and so they did. She was considered a fortune teller, but it was an evil spirit that exploited her. And so Paul, in his encounters with her, recognized the spirit is evil, and he calls it out. He says, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And it did. And I love the reality that that, that that highlights, because at the name of Jesus, evil had to flee. It was so cool, but not so cool to her owners, right? Because now they had just lost their income. And so her owners drag Paul and Silas into the town square before the justice of the peace. And in the blink of an eye, Paul and Silas find themselves surrounded by an angry mob. They're accused of disturbing the peace. They're stripped, and then they're beaten, and then they're thrown into prison. And it's here in prison that I want to key in on our third responder this morning. It's Silas. Yes, Silas and Paul were traveling together, but uh, we'll get back to Paul in a minute. Uh, he's gotten a lot of attention over the years. We're going to give Silas a little attention because I think the way Silas responds to the gospel message stands out. We first encountered Silas back uh, last week in chapter 15. He was a leader in the Jerusalem church, a Roman citizen, when he met Paul. And Paul chooses him as his traveling buddy. Silas was a prophet. He was an encourager. And he lived a life devoted to Christ. But I wonder if Silas had any idea that his devotion to Jesus would involve a beating and imprisonment. We're going to pick up his story in Acts chapter 16, verse 24. It says, And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Now, just a, a couple notes about the stocks. They were actually two pieces of wood 
there was, there was a bottom piece, the feet would slide in, and then the top piece would come down and hold those feet securely so a prisoner couldn't escape. But what I discovered in researching for this uh, message was that usually uh, the stocks, your feet weren't straight. Your feet were separated like this, put a lot of strain on the hips so that a prisoner who was locked in the stocks with his feet separated like this couldn't stand for very long. And so they would have had to fall back on their back. But remember, Paul and Silas had just been beaten. They had open, raw wounds on their backs, and so they would have been forced to lie on their backs on the cold stone floor on those open wounds when their feet were locked in those stocks. And this is where we find Silas, cold, beaten, in the dark. I think uncomfortable might be an understatement. In his shoes, I might be kicking myself for ever saying yes to Paul's crazy idea to come with him, right? What was I thinking going with that man? But that's not at all how we see Silas respond. Here's what verse 25 says. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Silas was praying. Silas was singing. He wasn't plotting how to get out. He wasn't focused on how much he hurt or how empty his belly was or the injustice that had just been served on him or even blaming his travel partner for the trouble that he'd just gotten them into. Silas was joining his voice to Paul's and praising the one whom he knew truly held his destiny in his hands. The one who had suffered much so that Silas could live. Silas was lifting his voice to Jesus and you know what jumped off the page at me? The prisoners were listening. Silas wasn't singing in a vacuum. There were condemned men who desperately needed the hope of the gospel, who were listening to Silas and Paul move beyond the stocks, move beyond the, the beating and the pain, and praise God. Have you ever been truly inspired by someone else's response to pain? That's what Silas gives us here. Silas went all in to worship God in the middle of his affliction. Where are you at right now? What hurts? Where do you find the pain unbearable or the enemy closing in? Where do you feel attacked or afflicted? Can I encourage you to praise God and lift your voice to him in song? 1 Corinthians 4.17 says, For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that we see but to the things that we don't see. Look to the strength Jesus wants to give you as you acknowledge him in your pain because you never know who's listening. Which brings us to our fourth responder. Here's what it says in verse 26 as we pick up the same story. Paul and Silas locked in the stocks. It says, And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and he was about to kill himself, supposing that all the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cries with a loud voice, Don't harm yourself, for we're all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. 
I wonder if there's anyone watching or anyone in this room who can relate to the jailer. He's our fourth responder. Your job or your living circumstances keep you in a dark and dreary place and life is not very fun right now. The things that you are caught up in, they hurt people, but you don't know how to extricate yourself from them. Or maybe your life has been shaken by the earthquake-like effects of corona, right? Your family, your school, your business, your finances, your health, politics, it just seems so hopeless. And so you are tempted, much like the jailer, to pull your sword and end the pain. The jailer saw the writing on the wall. His sole responsibility had been to keep those prisoners secure. And now with their escape, he knew, he knew that he was going to pay for their escape with his life. Why not just end it now on his own terms? If that's you, I want to ask you to hit the pause button for a moment and take a look at what Jesus does in the jailer's life because I believe he wants to do something very similar in your own. Jesus causes Paul and Silas to stay put. The prison doors were open. Think about this. The doors were open. They were free. They could have snuck past that jailer and danced in the street at their newfound freedom, right? But they don't. They don't. They stay put. Remember what Paul says. He says, no, don't do it. We are all here, even the other prisoners. You see, Jesus was after something bigger than a prison break. Jesus was after the salvation of the jailer's soul. When our very shaken jailer asks Paul and Silas the way of salvation, Paul tells him in no uncertain terms, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. The jailer's response tells the rest of the story. He goes all in to follow Jesus Christ. Will you? Will you? You have the opportunity right here and now. It doesn't have to be a long, big, drawn-out prayer. Will you go all in to follow Jesus? Because he sees you, he loves you, and he will make a way through the darkness for you. All it takes is a simple word whispered to him, yes, Jesus, I believe in you. Jesus Christ is the lover and the pursuer of your soul. And maybe you can't imagine what it's like to live <laughs> during the coronavirus as a Christian. But you've been listening like the jailer was, and you want to risk it all like he did and give your life to Jesus. When you do, you can rejoice like the jailer did, along with your entire household when you believe in the only one who can save you. So I'm going to hit pause for just a moment and ask if that's you. Right where you're sitting, at home or here, whisper to him, yes, Jesus, I believe in you. And if that's you and you just said yes, I'd love for you to tell me it. So after service, if you were at home, you saw a button pop up on your screen, you can go ahead and hit that button and let us know of your decision. You know, these stories that we've just read, they're not fictional. These are not made-up characters in a storybook. Scripture is the real, the living and active Word of God. And the individuals that we read about today, they were real people, as real as you and I sitting in this room or you at home and they have set an example for us to follow. It's not just a little tiny example. It's an all-in example, going all-in with every part of our fiber for Jesus. And those all-in examples change the trajectory of other people's lives, other people in their influence. Will you follow their example? 
Before we close, I want to point to one last responder on our journey, and he's the leader in our story. Paul exemplifies Christ-like leadership, but we also see in this chapter that leading at his level was not easy. Think about it. He was preaching the word of God and getting beaten and imprisoned for it. There is a cost. Some of you have been leading our city during these crazy times, or our region. As police officers, policymakers, first responders, medical professionals, pastors, and you've been hammered. You feel like you've taken hit after hit. You feel like you've been placed in the stocks in the dark, and it's painful. Some of you are leading your businesses, your team, your families, your classroom, your nonprofit, or our church. And you had some great plans for the year 2020, but just like Paul's plans for this journey, you got rerouted, and you find yourself here. And I wonder if you're not counting the losses. Can I challenge you a bit? No, I'm going to challenge you. <laughs> you were called to lead in the capacity you are because Jesus had a plan for someone else's life that only you can activate. You need to be the one walking that Gen Z or forward into his dreams to change the world. You need to be the one encouraging that businesswoman to take a next step and open her, her house and her life and her heart and her business to Jesus. The one to set the example of integrity for your staff or lead the unbeliever to the foot of the cross. And it won't happen because you are mighty and amazing in yourself. I'm sorry, none of us is just that cool. It'll happen because you followed Paul's example to go all in with Jesus' plan for your life to give your leadership over to him, to allow Christ's spirit to determine where you go, who you interact with, and how you respond. And it's there. It's there in that kind of all-in surrender to Jesus that you will find the strength and the encouragement of your soul to accomplish what Christ has laid out for you. So I want to encourage you, teach, preach, enforce, govern, parent, minister, but go all-in to lead others to Jesus. This is powerful stuff. And you know what? If you ever find yourself in the middle of a pandemic with lots of time on your hand and you need a really good read, one with intrigue and love story and drama and adventure and a happy ending, just pick up your Bible. Let's pray. Father, we are so in awe of you. You are so good to us. And you've given us people to follow. You've given us examples of people who've said yes to you in mighty moments, locked in stocks, in the dark, in pain. People who said yes to you in mighty moments where they, they've just experienced an earthquake. Jesus, we ask that you give us the courage to say yes to you, to take our big toe out of the water and jump all in, both feet, full body, full heart, full soul, full mind that we would experience you as we respond to you in life-changing ways. Lord, we know you're tapping on each of our heart in some direction because this chapter didn't just touch one person. You laid it out so that it would touch many. So lead us forward, Lord, and we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, even online, amen. We're going to worship here for a little bit longer. And those of you who are in this room, just want to ask that you um, spend a moment as you sing, reflecting on how God would have you respond to him this morning. Let's sing.
Thanks again for joining us. We are so glad that you took the time to visit us today. If the message impacted you this morning or if you'd like to receive prayer, please click the prayer link at the bottom of the screen and one of our pastors would love to reach out to you. Also, here at North Church, we believe in connecting in healthy and growing relationships. And we would love to find a way to help you feel part of the life and mission of our church. If you would like to take that next step, please click the connect link at the top of the screen. Or for more information, feel free to visit us at northchurch.net or follow us on social media. We'll see you next week.